Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. Throughout the course of the last several weeks, we've had the privilege of sharing in a sermon series together called Epics, God-Sized Stories. And we've enjoyed as we have journeyed together from the beginning of the book of Joshua going all the way through Chronicles. One of the things that we've been doing throughout the course of last year and this year and taking us into 2017 is sharing together on a journey as a church that will take us through the entirety of the Word of God in our preaching series and also in our reading programs. And many of you are familiar, you've got the little bookmark of one of the books that describes the reading program. We're reading together in this powerful portion of Scripture, looking at some of the incredible things that God has done throughout the ages, and we're excited about it. These Old Testament records are reminders of powerful ways in which God demonstrated to his own people enormous things that he did in their presence. And I will tell you this morning that God did not just do them then, but inasmuch as the word says he is the same yesterday and today and forever, God is still doing these epic things, praise God. So we go back to the Old Testament this morning just as a reminder of some things that he did in days gone by. This week's passage takes us from 1 Kings chapter 14 to 2 Kings chapter 10. My assignment was week 7 to draw from that passage of scripture. Any of you who know as I've been sharing that if I endeavored to share that entire time, we'd be here till next Sunday. So we won't do that. But as I began to look to God in that passage, it was rather a daunting task. To see God out of all the wonderful things, out of all the epic events that you have covered in that span of Scripture, what are the things, what is the one thing you want me to hone in on this morning? And the challenge was rather significant. Let me give you an example of why. I thought about preaching about Elisha, the, the son in the faith, the apprentice, the protege of the great prophet Elijah, but that wasn't the direction that God had us going in this morning. We thought about talking about the destruction and the demise of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, that was the dynamic duo of the Old Testament. And we thought about talking about the two of them, but that was not the direction that God had for us this morning. We thought about talking about the healing of the contaminated water. The people of God had gathered together and they were thirsty as is known to happen in the desert. But when they went to draw water, the water was not drinkable, the water was contaminated. But God told the man of God, take a handful of salt and sprinkle it in the water and watch what I'll do. And God purified the water, but... That's not what we're talking about this morning. I thought we'd talk about the widow and the endless supply of oil that would help pay her family's bills and also provide for her and her sons. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We thought about talking about the healing of what was considered incurable, a disease called leprosy. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Permit me to take you early in this collection of scriptures. I want to take you to 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want to read with you this morning a passage of scripture that should be familiar to all of us. 1 Kings 17, beginning at verse 1, we're talking about a conversation that the prophet Elijah had with King Ahab. 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, I'm reading from the New International Translation. It reads like this. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan. 
You will drink from the brook, and I have, I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of, Sidi of Sidon, and there stay. I have directed a widow there to supply your food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and said, And please bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This is a joyful mom. <laughs> Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do what you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. Chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. The title of this morning's message is very simply, God's will is God's bill. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that we're able to gather in this house Lord, in this house of worship, Father, we come in with a sense of excitement, we come with a sense of joy, we come in with a sense of anticipation, but God, we come in with a sense of deep reverence. For God, we've gathered this morning, Lord, Lord, to stand in the presence, collectively to stand in the presence of the sovereign of the universe. God, this morning we pray that as you have received our worship, as you have taught us how to worship in spirit and in truth, God, now would you breathe upon your word once again. For your word says within itself that it is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So may you take this word this morning. Father, filter it through us, O God, and change our very hearts and lives. Lord, stir us and inspire us and move us. God, I pray that you would deliver your word this morning. Father, may we not be enamored with sermonizing, but help us in these moments, O God, to communicate something from the heart of Almighty God. Father, we stand against every distraction of the adversary. Because, God, our hearts and minds want to be clear to hear your word. So, God, now minister, we pray, and as you do, God will give you and you alone all the glory and all the credit and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God's will is God's bill. Now, let me tell you how I came to this particular passage. I was sharing with some others that I had three messages to share with you this morning, but inasmuch as I have half an hour to do it, I thought that not wise was going to share with you about Ahab and Jezebel, but decided not to go in that direction. I was going to talk about the realities of redemption, but I felt impressed of God to land on this particular passage. And let me tell you why, because how I got there is integral to our understanding of what 
the Lord would impress upon us this morning. The first intention grabber had to do with language. I love looking at the language of Scripture, and as I began to look at the language that was expressed here, something arrested my attention. I got hooked on one word. Now, in some of your translations, we have one Hebrew word translated in two different ways. One place it is translated as, as uh, commanded, in another it's as directed in verses 4 and 9, but it's the exact same Hebrew word. I'll tell you why I mentioned that this morning. The word literally means ordered or commanded. Ordered or commanded. And it carries with it the understanding of appointment, of command, of order, of charge, or to direct. And we find this understanding and this word and this concept all throughout the pages of Scripture. For example, the word says that the Lord commanded Adam and Eve to refrain from eating of the knowledge of good and of evil. That was God's idea. He issued the command, the directive to them. The Lord directed Moses many times as he led the people through the desert, through the wilderness. And as he created and formed and instructed a nation that would soon learn to worship the God who really is God and to worship him in spirit and in truth. The Lord commanded the prophets to speak. And he commanded them to speak in good times and bad when their news was joyful and when the news would break the hearts of the people of God to draw them to sin. God would often issue commands. While the word that we find here, the Hebrew word, does carry the understanding of command or to give direction, it also means this. It means to set things in order. There are times when God, in order to fulfill his will, will not necessarily say, thus saith, as we hear over and over in Scripture. There are times when God will just step into a situation and set things in order that his purposes and his divine will might be accomplished. We see that time and again. I thought of Paul's words to the church in Rome. When he said, now we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose, God is at work in our lives, setting things in order when we allow him to be. Glory to God. The Bible says that God spoke into the pre-creation blackness. And he said very simply, let there be. And there was. On several occasions, God commanded the clouds while they were about to burst because they were so full of water and about to give rain and moisten the country. God spoke and said, not today. And at least three times in Scripture, rain had to be held back because God had issued the directive, the command to do it. In the days of Elijah, we see many times that God gave commands. But when we get to chapter 17, God simply had a conversation with a flock of birds. Glory to God. There were ravens who were on assignment that day because God had something in mind for them to do. Now, I'm not telling you God called a bunch of pigeons aside and said, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> what I am telling you is that there was a job to be done. And God decided on that occasion I'm going to send these ravenous, carnivorous birds to accomplish my will. God is creative, amen? And he put these birds on assignment. And he simply said to the man of God, I have directed the ravens to give you bread in the morning and meat at night. Glory to God. And God fulfilled his promises to them. The words arrested my attention. That was the first attention grabber. The second attention grabber in this passage had to do with what was a seemingly selfish request that Elijah made. Elijah hears the word of God. He goes to Zarephath. He comes in the city gates, and there is a widow. He meets the widow, and she's gathering sticks. And he says, so would you mind getting me 
a cup of water. And she said, sure. While you're at it, would you bring me just a little piece of bread? She says, as surely as God lives, I don't have any bread. All I have at home is a little flour and I have a little oil. I'm going to mix them together, take these sticks, stir a fire, and I'm going to cook just a last meal for my son and myself. And then we're going to die. I am so glad that was not what my mom was like. <laughs> son, it's Thanksgiving. Eat hearty because tonight we're going to die. That was not the plan that God had. But Elijah comes to her in that very tender, very sensitive, very frightening moment for that mom. And he says to her, I understand. But first, would you go and make a little cake for me? I don't know how many times over the years I've read this passage of scripture, and although I knew God was in it, it still sounded deeply insensitive. I just told you I don't have much food. <laughs> I told you, I just think I'm going to die tonight, but okay, I'll go cook you a biscuit. Let me tell you why Elijah said it. It had nothing to do with his hunger. It had nothing to do with him being thirsty. Elijah made that seemingly selfish request for her sake. Go back to the language that I told you about when God sets things in place. We have no evidence in Scripture that God spoke to this woman ahead of time. The Bible doesn't tell us that he said, Mabel, or whatever your name is, Mabel, I want you to get ready because on tomorrow the prophet's going to come. We have no record of that. We also have reason to believe that might not have happened because she seemed clueless when he showed up. But God had set something in motion already. If that lady had simply gone home and made a biscuit for herself and her son and eaten that and drunk and drank whatever it was and died, she would have missed the plan of God. But Elijah, in the midst of the famine, thought, I don't want you to miss what God has. You might not understand now why I'm doing this, but I'm telling you, go home and cook a piece of bread for me. She made it and she fulfilled the will of God. And then he said to her, this is what the Lord says. You don't just have oil and meal for one piece of cake for the prophet. You don't just have enough for this last meal for you and your son. But God says the oil and the flour will never run out until he sends rain one more time. Glory to God. Folks, that got my attention. Then all of a sudden, things began to make sense. I remember the words of an old friend of mine. He told me back in Michigan one summer, he said, Ron, God's will is God's bill. If God puts you on assignment to do something, God obligates himself to provide whatever is necessary for it. Now, lest you think I make it up, let me give you some passages of Scripture. There was an occasion when the servants of God, the disciples, were wondering about where they were going to get money to pay the taxes. Jesus knew there were some fishermen in the crowd. He said, go to, go to the lake. And when you go there, you're going to find a fish, open his mouth. And when he opens his mouth, there's going to be a coin inside and go and pay your taxes. Children of God were in the desert. They had complained all the way, finally they're in the desert. And they started to gripe to Moses, what are we going to eat? There's nothing out here. Moses said, wake up tomorrow. And when they woke up the next day, there were trees all over the place filled with this stuff. Literally, it means what it is. Glory to God. There was manna all over the place, and as long as they needed it, it was fresh every morning because God said so. Nehemiah was put on assignment to go and reconstruct the walls of the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah had been in captivity. He happened not to have a lumber yard in his backyard. But God reminded him, if you go, I'll send the pagans to supply everything you need because God had put it in motion. Glory to God. The Bible tells us that Abraham, 
Abraham had heard the word of God. He heard the voice of God. And for 25 years, he's waiting for God to fulfill the promise. And finally, he has a son. He has little Isaac. Little Isaac is growing. Little Isaac now is, is a young man. And God speaks to Abraham and he says, go and take Isaac to the mountain. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. Abraham must have said, if he was my mom, if Abraham's name was Dolores, he would have said, say what? <laughs> Abraham takes his son, and he begins to make the trek to the mountain. Some people have said, perhaps facetiously, but true if you look at Scripture. When Abraham got ready to take off for the mountain, that's the last recorded conversation we have between Abraham and Sarah. I wonder if that's a coincidence. <laughs> He takes off and he goes, but something of faith stirred in his heart. If you read the text, the Bible says that before he ascended the mountain, he said, we will return. Glory to God. God said, sacrifice your son, but he said, we will return. He goes up and he prepares the altar, he prepares the wood, he lights the fire. And the only one around to be sacrificed was his son. But just as he got prepared to do what he felt God was saying, there was a rustling back in the bushes someplace. King James says there was a ram in the bush. Glory to God. And God, when he put the man on assignments, God's will for him was satisfied by God paying the bill to get the job done. Glory to God. That's how God works in our lives. Let me help you understand this because this prescription is rather simple. I asked God, Lord, just give me a word of encouragement to the body this morning. And I just want to tell you this. The things that Elijah saw in his day we see in our day. We can see God move time after time after time, but you and I need to step out on faith as did the man of God. The prescription is simple. God's unmistakably declared plan. Married with God's available obedient servant results in God's obligation to provide glory to God. When God reveals his plan, when God reveals his plan, and when man is obedient, when we hear God's voice and are obedient to do what God says, no matter how much of a stretch it seems, I'm telling you, God obligates himself to fulfill all the needs of what he calls us to do. Praise God. I hope that sinks in this morning because it's the truth. Now, that sounds like real good preacher talk. Sounds like good Pentecostal theme. God's will. It's God's will. Bless God. But may I tell you this morning, it's more than preacher talk. It's the truth from the word of God. And there are principles that God wants us to understand and to know. And I share them with you this morning factually from the word of God. But let me tell you what it will take. It's one thing to stand and say that if God calls us, if he makes it clear, God obligates himself to provide. But it's another thing for us to understand how to walk in that. How do we walk in the provision of God? How do we walk in an understanding of God's revelation? How do we walk in such a place? Where when we are obedient to God, we walk under the umbrella of God's obligatory provision. How do we do that? Let me tell you what it will take. Three things very quickly. Number one, even quicker than I thought. Number one, it takes communion enough to hear him. Communion enough to hear him. Hearing God and recognizing his voice, my friends, takes time. It takes time to understand and hear and recognize the voice of God. We must understand this morning that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. Jesus said to us, my sheep will know my voice. That echo through the pages of the New Testament. But the principle is Old Testament, New Testament, and it's right now. Glory to God. It is God's will. It is God's 
will for us to know his voice. But sometimes we get so busy running around hearing everybody else's voice, we haven't made time to commune with Almighty God. I've got a decision to make, and I'm going to ask Uncle Claude and, and Aunt Bertha and Pete and everybody else and hear what everybody else has to say. But I haven't taken the time to talk with God. Folks, we need to commune with God. And not always be in a hurry. I'm doing God a favor by having 10 minutes of devotion, so I've got to get this done because I've got things to do for the kingdom. What do we have to do that's more important than talking to God? We want the big stuff. We want the epics to take place in our lives. We want the miracles. We want the supernatural. We want God to work mightily. But we don't often want to pay the price that it takes for those things to happen. To be the vessels and the conduits through which God can work mightily. We don't have the record of his prayer life, but I'm telling you, as sure as heaven is happy, that Elijah was a man who sought the face of God, and when he took the time to seek the face of God, he heard the voice of Almighty God. In Acts chapter 15, the Bible tells us they convened a council in Jerusalem because there was a major decision that needed to be made that would affect the body of Christ from then until the day that Jesus Christ came back. The Bible tells us that what they did, they got everybody together, all the elders and all the leaders, and they gathered together the congregation of Israel, all the Jews who were present in Jerusalem. And they began to talk and deliberate, but then they began to pray. And because they took time to talk and pray, they came out of that with these words. They had a conclusion, but they said it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. Glory to God. They had heard God say something because they took the time to spend with him. Learning to hear God's voice is sometimes the most difficult part of this equation because we often struggle. How do I know it's the voice of God? How do I know? How can I discern? How can I be certain that this is the voice of God? Since you asked, let me tell you a couple of things that it demands. If I'm really going to commune and hear the voice of God, it demands at least these things. It demands of me separation. If I never get alone with God, there's a good chance I'm never going to hear his voice. We need to find time, set things aside, shut off the TV, shut off the radio, shut off the Olympics, get alone with Almighty God. A time when I'm separated unto God. I love people. I love good advice. I love good conversation. But every now and then I need to shut everybody out because I need to get alone with God. There's something about being alone with Almighty God. Folks, Jesus thought it was a good idea. The Son of God found on several occasions he'd go onto a mountainside or some secret place and he would talk with his Heavenly Father. And my friends, I submit to you, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to do it, who are we? We need to separate ourselves unto God so we can hear what God has to say. Secondly, it demands of us silence. Silence, which is something often we're not good at. Silence so I can hear what he has to say. Now, I know this is not true of anybody here, but have you ever been around somebody who just talks all the time? They talk when it makes sense and talk when it doesn't. They talk when they have something to say and when everybody else in the room knows they don't. They just talk and talk and talk. Talk so much that when they ask you a question before you get the answer, they've talked about something else. I know what I'm talking about. I'm calling no names. <laughs> Just talk. Talk, 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 talk. 
And there are times when I've tried to butt into some conversations and, and then eventually it's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> Folks, if we're going to hear the voice of God, sometimes we've got to stop talking. We come into the prayer time and we're going a mile a minute. Got a prayer list that long and we've added to that and it's nonstop. We get done and we say, in Jesus' name, amen. And I wonder if Jesus kind of says, can, can I, yeah, I, there's something he wants to say. But we won't stop talking. Prayer, my friends, is a dialogue. We talk, God talks. We listen, and God listens. If we're going to hear the voice of God, sometimes so we've got to stop talking long enough to hear what God says. I'm not being sarcastic, believe me. I'm telling you the truth. We need to learn how to be silent in the presence of God so we can hear what he says. It demands of us separation. It demands of us silence. It demands of us surrender. Surrender. Sometimes what I want might not necessarily be what God wants. Sometimes the way I want to get the job done might not be the way God intends to get it done. And if I'm really going to hear God's voice and understand God's directives for my life, there are times I need to surrender. I need to surrender my plans. I need to surrender my calculations. We have a good friend who told us once that, she knows when she's walking in faith because that's when she can figure out what God's going to do before he gets it done. I thought, maybe not. We need to surrender our calculations. We need to surrender our methods and anything else that gets in the way. We need to resurrect the words of the old song that simply says, I surrender all. God, I come to you with clean hands and a pure heart. God, I come to you and I say, this is it. Use me in whatever way you would. And when you and I learn that place of surrender, there is no limit to what God can do in our lives. There's no limit to how God can use us to his glory and to his honor. Folks, it takes communion enough to hear him. Secondly, if we're going to walk in this plan of God, the pattern of God as did Elijah, we can understand his plans and walk in them and watch God's miraculous provision it doesn't just take communion enough to hear him. It takes commitment enough to obey him. Commitment enough to obey him. Let me point you to a portion of scripture in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. The word says this, Jesus was speaking. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he, charged, he changed his mind and he went. And the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. For John came to you and showed you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. The son comes to him. And he answers his father. The father says, son, I want you to go to work. I want you to go out in the vineyard. Son number one comes and he says, not me. Now I can promise you that wasn't the Bradleys. When Simon spoke... Everybody listen. So I can't relate to son number one. But son number one comes and says, I'm not doing it. But somewhere down the road, he changed his mind. Dad goes to son number two. And he says to him, I want you to do a work in the vineyard. Yes, sir, I'll do it, sir. I'm, what time do you want me to go, Dad? I'm going to get there early. 
but he never went. Jesus asked them, which one of them did his father's will? It was the first one. Folks, let me tell you something simple about how God works with us. God is not impressed with lip service. Son number two gave all, yes, sir, God, I'm going to do this. I promise you, I'll go where you want me to go. God was not impressed with lip service at all. He never went and fulfilled what he told God he would do. May I suggest you this morning, it's better not to make false promises to God when you and I know we're not going to keep them. But the second or the first son, he said, God, he's, God, he said, Father, no. But eventually he did it. The Bible says of God that he is long-suffering toward us, that God is patient, God is merciful, God is full of grace. God is, is always better if we obey God instantly. But the reality is God knows that our flesh is weak. There are times when we might not obey God immediately, but folks, it's better to eventually say yes than never say yes at all. God is patient with us, and God desires for us to be obedient, even if we're not obedient immediately. Folks, it might take you some time to warm up to be willing to do what God says, but ask God to give you the strength. Ask God to give the grace because God will do it. Father, I'm afraid to obey what you're saying, but if you give me the grace and strength to do it, God, I will do it. Folks, we need, we need the commitment to obey him. God, I'll do what you say. We sing a lot of wonderful songs like the one I just was sharing. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or mountain or plain or sea. But God, please don't ask me to go talk to my neighbor next door. You know, that person's been ornery for the last 20 years. God, I don't want to preach to my mother-in-law because you know. (laughs) I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. No, God, not the boss. You know what I'm saying, folks? God, give me the commitment and give me the courage to be obedient to whatever it is you ask me to do. Amen? If we want to walk in the plan of God, it takes not only the communion enough to hear him, Commitment enough to obey him, but it takes conviction enough to trust him. Conviction enough to trust him. I'm talking about faith. We have all sorts of definitions about faith. Some are solid and make sense. Some are rather, rather goofy. Let me tell you basically what faith is, if I can synthesize an understanding of faith for us this morning. Faith is choosing to actively trust and believe in God's fidelity. In God's faithfulness, I actively choose to trust and believe in God's faithfulness to his own character, his own promises, his own integrity, his own nature, his own covenant, and his own word. Basically, what I'm saying is, God, you said who you are, and I believe you. God, you said this is what you do, and I believe you. God, you said this is what you will supply, and I believe you. Not because I'm anybody special, but God, I'm taking you at your word, and I'm going to live my life as though I believe what you said and who you are. Glory to God. That's what faith really is. Faith is an action verb. It means we are walking in a way that we believe that God is precisely who he said he is. Glory to God. Now, let's keep it real this morning. There are times when God asks people some crazy stuff. (laughs) God asks people to do things that seem like, what? And let me share with you a couple of examples. God says to Moses, he leads the people out of Israel. 
They find themselves trapped. There's a river in front of them. Mountains on either side and a very, very angry army right behind them. They're trapped. They have no place to go. And God says to Moses, hold out a stick. Hold it out over some water and watch what I do. Hold out this stick in your hand, an old shepherd's staff, so I can show you that I can split a river wide open and have you walk not in the mud but on dry ground. Folks, that sounds crazy. But God did it. Glory to God. We find the scripture tells us that God had the people of Israel through the river on the dry ground. He gets them into the desert, a desert. They're now hungry and they're thirsty. They're looking for water and they begin to complain one more time. You brought us out here to die. We have nothing to drink. And God says, go get a rock. He says, talk to the rock. Moses is probably thinking, no, you remember that sea back there? We could use some of that water. He says, talk to the rock, because I want to show you what I can do in the desert. Archaeologists tell us they found the rock. They found this huge rock sticking up in the exact location where the scripture tells us to be. The rock is split in half, and there are lines, there are striations on the rock. And they said the only way, archaeologists said the only way that these lines could have been made in the rock was by the force of water. But the strange thing is that the water had to be coming upward to make these stripes in the rock. They found it, folks. Glory to God. This is not a fable. God said, talk to the rock, and I'll show you what I can do. Glory to God. God said, quit your job and trust to see what I'm going to do. He said, hold the stick to Moses. He said, hold or talk to the rock. He said that to Moses. Quit your job, he said to Bradley. And I tell you this not because we're anybody special, but I want to tell you that these are not just stories of old. When I was 28 years old, driving on Washington Road in, in Princeton, New Jersey, driving home from work like I would do day after day on April 27th, God speaks and he says, write your resignation tonight. That was another say what moment. You know, I say what? We wrestled throughout the evening. I wrote the resignation, turned in the next day. Had no idea where I was going, but God knew there was something next. That was on April 27th, 1983. October, I moved into the city of Trenton. Had no idea God would have us pioneer work and be there for the next 12 and a half years. 30 years, one month, and four days later. I'm not single now. God's saying, move. I'm now married. I got a family. May 31st, 2013 is a Friday. I'm sitting at my desk in Ohio. And God begins to speak. It's around 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. He said three things. He said, it's time to leave. Resign tomorrow. And don't preach on Sunday. Don't go to church on Sunday. Say what? <laughs> I had already had an elders meeting scheduled for the next day. So I wrote my resignation that afternoon. And that became the agenda for it. Had no idea where we were going to go, had no idea what we were going to do, none whatsoever. I just knew what God had said. Was it a scary moment? Absolutely. But I knew the voice of God. I spoke to my wife. Immediately she said she had perfect peace with it. So we resigned. I went to my mechanic because I was having trouble with my car, and the mechanic said, Ron, the car might run like this for a long time, not a problem. But if it doesn't, it's going to cost you $2,500 to have it fixed. I don't have $2,500 hanging out in the bank account to put under the hood of my car on any given day. So we began to pray, God, what do you want us to do? We knew, we just sensed in our heart that whatever he had us to do next was going to entail some traveling. God, what do you want us to do? And God says, go buy a new car. <laughs> you just told me to quit my job. 
I obeyed what you said. Go buy a new car. On the 15th of June, 2013, I pulled out of the showroom with a brand new car, eight miles on the car. Fast forward a few months, still have no prospect of where to go, nothing. We fast forward a few months. I received the call from here. Pastor Chris had received my name from someone he called. We began to talk. That was in August 2013. September, we came down and interviewed. October, we were asked to come. But in the interim, there were still no open doors. I'm looking for employment where I am because the Bradleys had kind of got accustomed to eating. So we were, <laughs> were, were looking for lunch, you know. <laughs> Nothing was happening. My checking account count got down to $1.67. There were times when I would, would have great times of trust in God. Other times, and my son will tell you, I would curl up in a knot and just cry, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'd remind God of his word, and he would remind me of the same thing. I got you covered. I got you covered. We received the invitation to come, felt it was God. We came here. When we came here, we had exhausted everything we had in making the trip. When we landed here on December 2nd or December 3rd of 2013, I had to negotiate in my mind, gas in the car or groceries. Won't draw a paycheck for another couple weeks. The night before my first paycheck, I stood in AMP and cried because I knew I was going to be able to buy groceries for my family. Folks, it gets real. But as we came, the day we moved in, nobody knew where we were going to live. So what compelled me to look in the mailbox that they were moving in? It, it had to be, I opened the mailbox, and there's a letter for me in there. There are two checks for $200 apiece in the mailbox. If God speaks to us, we're willing to obey. Folks, God obligates himself. He obligates himself to take care of us. We must understand this. This is not fiction. It is not fable. We must understand the principle this morning. I'm going to ask Pastor Rick to come. Folks, faith, faith sometimes can be scary. It can be scary, but understand it's not all about you and it's not all about me. There is a job to get done, and your job and mine is to hear him and to obey him. Glory to God. Hear him and obey him. Sometimes or somewhere for those this morning who are struggling, I just want to tell you on the authority of God's word, there's a raven somewhere waiting for you. Somewhere there's a widow who doesn't even know she's been put on assignment. There is someone somewhere, somewhere, God has set in place your provision and mine this morning. We need to trust him. I will never pretend and tell you that it's easy. Sometimes it's not. When God told me to quit twice, I'm hoping twice is enough. I'm hoping to quit today. But when he said it, as scary as it was, it was scarier not to obey him. And when we did, God gave us peace. And even in those challenging, challenging times, I will tell you, we never missed a bill, never missed a car payment, nothing. A series of things that God did. Being at home, and there's a knock on the door. Hey, just stop by to see you guys. Hey, brought a cake, let's have some fellowship. And as they're leaving, by the way, here's an envelope, $500 in the envelope. Never asked for a thing over and over and over again. The raven came flying into the Bradley household. I'm telling you this morning, if you hear the plan of God and are willing to be obedient to whatever it is that God says, if God is, and I'm not talking about things you make up in our minds, well, God, I want to do this. Please bless it. If you've heard God say it, 
If you know it's God, like Elijah knew it was God, do it. And God obligates himself to provide for what he has asked us to do. 1 Kings 17, 14 says this. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not, turn, will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Here is the takeaway this morning. In the case of Elijah, God sends scavenger birds to provide the first provision for him. Understand this, folks, this morning, that God may not choose the currency with which you and I are most familiar. If Elijah had the chance, he would not have thought, I'm going to go to a restaurant today and have some wild birds feed me. That wasn't the currency he was used to. That wasn't the way he was accustomed to being provided for. But that was what God had in mind. Sometimes we might miss the blessing of God because we're busy telling God how he can do what he wants to do. God may not use the currency with which you are most familiar, but that's his business. God may not allow circumstances in which we are most comfortable, but that's his business, not ours. God is the one who orchestrates the time and the place. That's his business. Child, we've got to understand this. Never, ever forget. Never forget that God's will is God's will. Glory to God. God will always do his part. The question this morning is, will we? God will do his part. God will never be in debt to you. He will not. I can't explain those times and God have prayed through and it still hasn't happened yet. I don't have all the answers. I'm just telling you the principle of scripture. And I can tell you, I can tell you many more stories that are true. How we've seen God do it. If we obey him, if we obey him, there's no end to what God can do in our lives to demonstrate over and over and over again. I trust that many of you know how to journal because it just might be as you keep a record of what God's doing in your life, yours might be the epic story that the next generation is going to tell. You, you might be the Elijah that somebody will speak about 5, 10, 15 years from now Jesus tarries. God is still doing epic things, great things in the lives of his people if we simply learn to hear him, to obey him, and to trust him. I want to invite you this morning to the altar and let me just tell you precisely what I want to do. And with this, I'm done. First of all, there might be some who are here this morning who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're religious, we know that because you're in church. But you haven't been born again. Or you walked with God for a while and then walked away from him. This morning, if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, if you want your relationship to be restored, you've strayed from God, but you don't want to stay distant from the Lord. Today, you want to say, God, I'm coming home. If either of those is you this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something rather bold. I don't want your heads bowed and eyes closed. I want us to be cognizant of what we're doing. If that's you this morning and you want to say, Jesus, here I come, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. Just stand to your feet very quickly. We want to pray with you. I want to pray and introduce you to the Son of God this morning. This is not to embarrass you. I ask you to stand because we want to celebrate with you. This is a, an amazing opportunity. So this morning, if you want to receive Jesus, just right wherever you are, just stand. Stand long enough that I can see, see you. I'm not going to press this hard because I never beg people to come to know Jesus. It's a privilege to come to know Jesus. 
Secondly, for those who are here this morning who are saying, Pastor, I hear the word, I believe the word, but I struggle so hard hearing the voice of God. I know that it's God's stated will that his sheep would know his voice, but I struggle. I struggle to discern the voice of God uh, among all the other clutter that's going on. And I want to know how to hear the voice of God. We want to pray with you this morning and pray that God, whatever it is that may be hindering that, that God will address that this morning because it's the plan of God for us to know his voice and his will. So in a few moments, I'm going to invite those, if that's your circumstance, to come. And lastly, there are some who have heard his voice. You know what God is saying, but it terrifies you to think of doing it. I hope that I've heard him say for the last time, quit tonight and go tomorrow. But I also hope I have enough faith in him that if he says it, I'll do it again. Whatever it is that God is saying, some of you know what God is saying to do. But it scares you to think, what if the raven is not there? What if the provision is not there? And this morning, we want to help you pray through that, that God will give you the courage to trust him. And when and as you do, you will see the provision of Almighty God. Because for you, God's will for your life is God's will to take care of getting it done. I'm going to ask Pastor Rick to lead us in the chorus. And if either of those apply to you, I'm just going to ask you to come very quickly and gather around the altar. We just want to pray with you. The altar workers are going to come and join us. No hard sell. You know if God's stirring in your heart. You know if you need to pray. You know if you're having a hard time hearing his voice. Or if you've heard him and you're having a hard time trusting him. There's no embarrassment in the house of God. We just want to pray. So as we're being led in worship, if your desire is to come, please come and find a place around the altar. In a few moments, the altar workers will join in praying with you this morning.